This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to episode 66 of The Blathering. I'm Ken Napsack. At my camera angle, I gotta fix this. Oh man, I'm so sorry. Every time I move my camera to do uh, ASMR videos, which I love doing, the channel's uh, slowly growing, big bump over the last week, get over to the Sports Card ASMR channel, relax with me, and tell some jokes. There's one coming up, a video in like two weeks, that uh, I, 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 I think there's something you all need to see because it's so outrageously, not going to say funny, because I don't think anything I do is funny, but like, it's, it's unbelievable stuff. And it's all under the guise, Sports Cards and ASMR. Free plug for myself over there. Anyways, every time I shoot those videos, I have to move the camera around. That's the this is the desk down here. This is the camera spot. If you're watching on video, if you're if this if you're listening to the audio version, I hope you do because that's how I get forty bucks a month. Um, this is uh, I'm pointing to my desk that my laptop's on, and uh, yeah, I uh, move it back. And and every this thing happens every time. I tell myself get the same camera angle that for the blathering. Pop rock and radio, set it up right. Uh, mark it if you put some tape down somewhere, and all that would work. And then now I'm looking at the, the, the I'm looking at the camera, and I'm looking at the uh, angle. It's different every fucking time. And I thought it was the same this time. It's driving me crazy. We got we got to press on. Got to press on. Promised myself I, I was not going to talk aliens <laughs> for the fourth straight week. I still don't believe in them, but I want to believe. I still want to believe. And I, I actually listened to an audio clip of uh, that uh, absolute uh, spineless uh, Re- Republican Marco Rubio talking about other there are other like whistleblowers that have come forward and they've spoken to Congress and, uh, you know, similar to that, uh, that was the Gorsh guy that's, uh, out there. And yeah, yeah, but he doesn't say much because he can't probably. And I've seen that retweeted again as more proof that the, there's alien ships buried in the desert and we know about them. And again, maybe this is true. Maybe we'll come out in time. I want it to. Please, let's do it. I was driving along, uh, speeding down the highway. Honey, I want it my way. No, I was driving home from uh, the comedy club Sunday night. And I was thinking to myself, what, if, what, would, it, what would I do if aliens landed? I, I think the first thing I have to do is I have to go to the blathering and kind of apologize that I said pretty strongly that I don't think there's aliens. That'd be the first thing on my mind. Second thing is, when do we, at what point do you wait and wonder, are they here to help us, here to just check out uh, what's going on, or here to destroy us? What's the final spot? Because every movie, outside of maybe some Ill, if attempts at a comedy from some movies, Examples don't come to mind, but E.T. No, no, no. E.T. is not an ill-fated anything. It's a great film. But, you know, Battle of Los Angeles, a movie I like. Independence Day. I like Independence Day. Some of the other films of, of that ilk. Um, Spielberg's version of War of the Worlds, one of my favorites. At what point do you fucking run when the cracks are in the asphalt and there's a loud sound and a big thing pops out? The uh, go. But at what point, like, if I'm driving down the 210 freeway, heading back from, like, a, a vet appointment outside Pasadena like it was today. Baxter did well, by the way. Thanks for asking. I was, I was thinking about it again. All right. I look out because I can see downtown L.A. from that freeway. I look out. There's this flying saucer. What do I, eh? You know, what do, where do you go? What do you do? I think that's kind of what Will Smith had to deal with in Independence Day, right? Comes out from the morning paper. Yeah. There was a lot of time between that and the countdown before Goldblum figured it out and 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 uh, all that stuff uh, and and uh, his dad Judd Hirsch. You know, there's there was um, there was a lot of time. Are you grabbing what you can? Laptops, Funko Pops, dogs, and heading out of town, or are you like, yeah, I don't know, maybe maybe they're maybe they're uh, maybe we'll extend our hand. I don't know. It's a fair question. And I'm wondering if that's fueling some of my apprehension for maybe admitting that, oh, I don't know, aliens are here. They're already, they've crashed here. They're hanging out here. They've had Arby's. I don't know. Maybe that's some of my fear is I don't want to, I don't want to have to face that, you know? A lot of, lot of tough things in the world none of us want to face. 
I don't want to add aliens coming to Earth or emerging, showing themselves. Um, I don't want that. Maybe that's, that's the truth. And I have to admit that. Deep thoughts here on the blathering. Deep thoughts. I don't want to make light of anything last week. I really don't. But what a crazy week, right? Uh, the the ongoing and the tragic end, which turned out to be a sooner tragic end of, of the sub-Titanic sub-Ocean Gate gate. Um, that playing out in real time. Everything going on there. The discourse around that. The public, I think, morality test that kind of was. And then all of a sudden, we're still processing that. And then suddenly, we got a coup. Excuse me. March of Justice going on in Russia. And Prigozhin's Wagner Group, Wagner Group, heading to Moscow to take over the country, to kill Putin, no, save Putin, rescue him from his bad military leaders. Uh, all the ruse turned around, suddenly called off. It, it was... History in real time. Both events, by the way. Both events. And as always, I don't proclaim to have any great insight on any of these things. Other than I'm a, I'm a, I'm a participating soul. A willing participant of the show. Because we all were. And there's a lot of good things to, to you know, discussion around the sub gate, ocean gate. It's weird when something's already got like a gate attached to it. I still think it's weird that Watergate, I get Watergate leading to gates, uh, football gate, you know. I just forgot all the other gates in the world. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Go to Wikipedia. Other gates. Um, it, it, the whole situation, I I, 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 I start here with this. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about last week. Like, I, I'm not one to... Um, you know, I'm not going to actively root for anyone's death because they're a billionaire. I am not going to take joy in their death. And I, but I also understand gallows humor. I also understand the uh, burbling bits of rage from those who might feel they're economically oppressed. And there are many. I mean, I'm not doing great myself. And there's people worse, right? We're all feeling it. And there's people who have felt it their whole lives. There's there's cultures that feel they've felt that for their whole lives. And so, yeah, um, four very rich uh, men and and a young 19 year old uh, who would one day probably be rich if he had um, um, kept going. Obviously, like like um, it's not it's not easy, you know, to root for them. I get it. Um, I, I said it's like a bit of a, a morality test, but to watch it kind of play out. And, and the way people interact with this, the way um, people have, have to, I don't know if they choose a side, but I saw a lot of it. And I, you know, again, I saw a lot of the good, hope they're all dead, lesson learned. I saw a lot of the, hey, don't you do that. And I'm on more on that side of it. Don't you say those kind of things. It's, it's human life. I kind of believe it's not just what you're fighting for, but it's how you're fighting for. But that doesn't mean I've been perfect in those ways as well. So I get it. And again, I really appreciate Gallo's humor. Totally do. Little dark streak of comedy runs through my veins. So I totally get it. I just also think that's how we process it. All of it. As this is happening. And then there's the angle a lot of people tweet. I, I think correctly. About... Hey, there's the uh, you know the, the ship that with uh, what was it 500 immigrants or so uh, off of Greece that that capsized and no one really did anything and there was no press coverage over it and uh, you know uh, reeks of a lot of things and I I actually agree with that uh, and there were some other incidents uh, that people were throwing out there during this time uh, but I, I I refer oddly enough to uh, uh, the Dark Knight with. Um, Heath Ledger's Joker. I don't have the quote up in front of me. I'm not going to play a sound clip. But when he's when he's talking to Batman about introducing a bit of chaos, you know, soldiers die in a war in a far, faraway land. That doesn't raise an eyebrow because that's expected. It's it's part of the story. It's something we're all familiar with. Strap some bombs to a boat with some uh, uh, citizens, uh, uh, you know, kidnapped and held hostage on it, as uh, Joker's doing. Uh, it's chaos, and people start paying attention. The sub was chaos. Uh, 
the other incidents were all tragedies that do deserve, and in a, in a right and just world, probably do deserve more coverage and our attention and more of our moral care. Um, it's like, but I just think it's become something we've heard. And I guess maybe I'm speaking more to the Western culture, suburban culture, and maybe even white culture. But all those stories you hear of immigrants coming from Cuba on a raft and it turns over and they die. It's, that's horrible. That's just tragedy. It shouldn't have to ha- be that way on any side of it. But you just hear it, you hear it a lot, and it just seems part of the um, natural order of things. And by the way, I don't, I don't think that's right to say that or to think that. But it's just, you, it's just kind of kind of what the Joker's talking about in that moment. Um, I didn't hear about the immigrant ship um, capsizing until people started tweeting about it. So thanks to those people. But the reason that plays second fiddle to the sub thing is also part of the natural order. That's chaos. That's something that we all probably don't have the money to actually be in the situation. But a lot of us aren't going to be immigrants on a raft or a ship we're making some perilous journey just to survive, just to build a new life, just to keep going. A lot of us don't live that story, even though I have relatives that are part of that immigrant story as well. I think their journey was not as perilous, but the escape from Soviet Union was perilous for my grandfather and grandmother and my um, aunt, uncle, and father. But by the time I'm of age and walking around this world, it's just part of our family history there's some pictures on the wall to commemorate it, but let's go to El Pollo Loco. Grandpa wants a burrito. Like, it, it was just part of life. And I didn't experience it directly. And, and, and the one of the big challenges in, in life is if can you move yourself outside of your own experiences, right? Right? That, that, that's just the way it is. We all are all built a little egocentric. So if you cut yourself on a piece of broken glass on my desk, if feels bad. I'm sorry that happened. Uh, maybe I'm liable, um, but I might not move that broken glass until it cuts me. The challenge is to move beyond that. None of us listening, well, I'll take it back. I don't want to say, if maybe there's a listener out there who could afford a $250,000 ticket on a sub ride to the Titanic. If, if you are listening and could afford that, I might uh, point you to my Patreon page or patreon.com slash Ken but most of us probably not going to have an opportunity to take that trip. But that aside, the idea of just you and four other folks on some cramped homemade submarine heading to the Titanic and then uh, being lost. And this is before the tragic ending, before the implosion was learned. Um, the idea of being trapped in it. No one can find you. You can't even get out if you get to the surface because you're bolted in. You can't even stand up. You can't even stretch. Uh, and you have 96 hours of oxygen. It's, that's something maybe you could feel. That's something maybe your claustrophobia kicks in. That's some, uh, something that maybe your uh, sense of, of horror and fear grabs onto you. I think a lot of us were watching this play out, willing participants in the drama because... I don't know. I may be speaking for myself. I kept looking at the photos of the thing, kept seeing it, and and just thought to myself, I wanna, what would I do? I don't hear a story of a ship full of immigrants going to any country and think, well, what would I do? Because in my mind, I'm not going to be on that ship. But in my mind, one day, I don't know, what if I'm offered a chance to go to the Titanic? You know what I mean? And by the and, and we should <laughs> we should focus on them. Um, not even equally. The, the immigrant ship story should, should be the headline. I reiterate again, in case someone misses my point. But all weekend, or all during this uh, escapade, um, as that was happening, I, and it was the previous weekend, I, it, it's all I could think of. I uh, didn't think I, w- I had claustrophobia growing up too much. Uh, my mom had it really bad. I didn't really pick up on, uh, it's an issue I might have, till I felt trapped in, oddly enough, a sleeper car and an Amtrak train in the bunk. I couldn't get out. Um, I had to strap some safety harnesses up, and I tried to turn around. I got stuck, and I panicked, and, I, and that's the first time I realized, oh, I can't do that. 
Um, the thought of having an MRI face up has, uh, I don't need one, by the way. <laughs> Nothing's happening, but the thought of having that and being completely encased. I've, I've woken up in cold sweats, right? So put myself into that sub. Uh, There's a couple times this week, uh, during, during, I keep saying this weekend, dur- during the event, that I just, I had to tell myself, stop thinking about it. Stop thinking about it. And that's human nature, to be drawn to those kind of tales and those kind of stories. And then you had in uh, uh, Twitter, for the most part, but any form of social media where you can broadcast your thoughts on it, much like I'm doing right now. You can tweet out a thought. You can tweet out a joke. That's that's the story playing out for all of us. That's how we process it. I've said this before, and you've probably experienced this type of thing as well. The morning of 9-11, watching it on our little tiny TV in a Canoga Park apartment with me and three of the roommates. We made some of the best jokes we've ever made. Watching it all happen, even after the first tower came down. We were cracking jokes. We were thinking, what, oh, wait, maybe it's going to attack downtown LA. Should we go see it? What are we going to do? I can't remember the jokes. I just remember we were dying laughing. Oh, my God. It wasn't because we were wannabe edgelord comics. It wasn't because we were crass or immoral people. We were four young uh, guys in, in their um, approaching mid-20s. Wondering what the fuck was happening. Wondering, are we going to survive this? And is this going to be different? Are we going to be in a war? Are we going to be participating in war? We, uh, it was all in our hearts and our heads and our souls. And it all came out in bad jokes. And I think, I've, I think, I think a lot of that was what's going on on the last week in social media. And then it becomes this battle. Someone makes a snide remark about who gives a damn about the billionaires. Let them implode. Someone then tis- tisks them. Someone then tisk tisk the tisker. Someone then tisk 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 the tisker. The tisker, and it goes in a circle, and uh, it, it, it's part of the show. I was watch. I was watching it unfold. The aftermath. I was watching the aftermath just as much as I was watching the the tragedy as it played out. And I think there's some valuable lessons to learn from it. Uh, it is, to me, a little bit of capitalism in a nutshell. It is a little bit about the rich having um, nothing but these frontiers to conquer in their mind. But then you have a CEO of a company maybe sidestepping a lot of things in the name of glory, in the name of profit, in the name of doing things that other people can't do and uh, not caring about who he brings down with him. Uh, there's some lessons to be held, uh, lessons to be learned from there and lessons held within it. But... Um, I'm not, here to, I'm not here to say anything more than that. Again, I'm not super insightful. I'm just saying I watched it play out. And I watched everyone have those reactions. And at some point, I just wonder when, if, or can we all just kind of stay silent? What happened to just taking in the information? I don't want social media to go away. I actually don't. I don't want digital media to go away. I don't. That's why I'm here. Without it, I don't make money. I just sometimes look at the people participating at a level that I can't comprehend and wondering, can we all just sit down for a second? Can we all just shut the hell up and let life play out? I don't know if even that's right. But that was my experience with that. As that, still dealing with that, as that led into this insane, insane coup that wasn't in Russia, which had and still has, I think, potential worldwide implications. It's a breeding ground for conspiracy theories. You know my thoughts on it. And I totally get it this time around. Don't trust those Russians. Trust me. Don't trust them. But I also think it's kind of what it is on the, on the surface. It is another insanely rich person who, after selling all the hot dogs he could and making all the money he could by taking over a large percentage of the food contracts in uh, Russia. I think I saw the stat of he had like 90% of the food contracts for the Russian military, Russian Ministry of Defense, becomes uh, an oligarch, one of my favorite words to kind of say correctly because I also kind of want to say it incorrectly, oligarch. Becomes rich beyond belief and decides, you know what? I'm going to start an army. 
private contracted army because I can and I want to. And I'm going to go to the battlefield dressed as a soldier. And I'm going to lead like a, the general I want to be. And I can because I'm rich and I am at the top of the food chain, literally. This is what I'm going to do. And it was a weird thing to um, watch. And I hope you were watching it. I really hope you do. That's the thing. I don't know. If, if you turned away from the sub-disaster, more power to you. If you watched every second of the sub-disaster, that's fine too. I was somewhere in the middle. But this is one of those incidents that I thought could be... I mean, it was 1917 all over again. The Bolshevik Revolution happens during World War I. Uh, I'm summarizing it in two sentences, but... It's because of what was going on in the war, because of the treatment. The Russians were on our side, remember. Um, our side being the Allies at the time, of course. Um, the people in power were removed by the people beneath them who wanted their power. This was playing out. And I was gripped by it. Absolutely gripped by it. But I, I, I wish more people were as well. I think a lot of them were. I was texting some of my uh, friends who have been following along. Because um, it's history. And it potentially, it's already history as it is right now. And I think it's still unfolding. But it could have been like the history they'd be reading about 100 years later. Like the 1917 revolution. We don't know right now. Uh, what would have happened? But they destroyed helicopters of the Russian uh, army. They destroyed that plane that I watched fall from the sky with 10 souls dying on it. I watched the clip that's out there. It's that same thing. You put yourself there, you're gripped by the horror, and you're trying to process it. Um, a lot of theories. None of them hold water to me, but I'm, I think we all should pay attention. <laughs> I don't think it's done, but I do think it is what it is. It's power. It's greed. It's money playing itself out. I think President uh, Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine kind of said it best. No quotes in front of me, but yeah, Putin, this is kind of what you get for what you've done. Not in the, just a simple karma way, but... When your thirst for power reaches so far that you destroy lands and worlds and governments and lives just because that's what you want to do, it might come back on you. And not in some mystical karma, but because you're also trampling over the people you're supposed to be protecting and leading and taking care of. That's why I think this was, for the most part, for my money. Again, I'm not no talking head on some MSNBC. So don't listen to me too far. That's why I say I think this situation was what it was. You had um, Prigozhin and, and his men um, without enough ammunition, what they felt being uh, slaughtered on the front lines, other uh, Russian conscripts or... Uh, uh, you know, criminals forced to fight, um, press ganged in the army, being slaughtered. And by the way, we're not rooting for Wagner and the Russians in this situation, but they felt, as human beings, who believed in whatever cause they believed in, that this wasn't right. And then uh, now you're attacking us. For the, my money, by the way, the actual missiles fired at the Wagner base, uh, I, I don't know, but I do believe there's probably something in the, in the, was probably something in the works to remove Prigozhin from from within. I, I could, a lot of people falling from, uh, you know, high places in Russia if you speak out against Putin. So I don't doubt that for a second, and nor should you. That's why I think it was what it was. F it. And it wasn't a spur of the moment thing from most accounts. Some saying U.S. intelligence had a good lead on it. Ukraine intelligence uh, had a good lead on and might have even been communicating with them. Again, take that as far as you want, but 
They go and do this, quote, march for justice, almost just to show that they can. And they did. And then they stopped. I think a lot of the reason they stopped was not just a good old, let's have some beers and negotiate with the president of Belarus, but I think uh, the uh, Russian um, Russian authorities, those old agents, uh, probably did have <laughs> some family members of uh, Wagner High Command um, in their sights, maybe. And uh, it's a good reason to stop the bloodshed, as was said. Um, but uh, even at the time of this recording, war of words still going on. It's confusing. And it's confusing. Uh, do I think it was a ploy to move troops here to get uh, Wagner troops closer to Kiev? And, uh, it might look that way at a map. It's possible. Nothing's impossible at this point to me to consider. But again, as often in life, it is what it is. People in power trampling over one another to get more power. And we all potentially suffer. And the world all hurts. It's been quite a week. Enough to put my life in perspective. Enough to say, you know, struggles at jobs and uh, lack of funds or not having my favorite uh, foods in my kitchen. It's okay. Uh, It's okay. Um, So anyways, that's the start of it. The blathering is the weirdest thing I've ever done. And that's saying something because I I did SNN, which was a show of me doing weird little, almost different voices, trying to communicate about issues uh, from different parts of my personality that I miss doing. I'll get back to it one day. I miss it. I miss miss my friends. I miss Mort Rooney a lot. Miss the uh, the Del Taco kid. Um, I miss the nine one one operator. I miss them. Uh, but this is a weirder show because it's not just that I don't know where it's going to go, and that's part of the advertising plan. I just I feel as though these days I'm constantly at odds with myself about what I'm here for. I want to deal with what I. Enjoy in life. I talked last week about finding humor in the joy. I want to say something of importance, but I also just want to focus on the core key issues. So I don't worry about having all the quotes in front of me or all the facts and figures. I first acknowledge that you have to research all those things, and I do, and you should. And I always hate saying that because, ah, man, doesn't that sound like do your own research for that bullshit? And it's bullshit. That's a weird shield from truth that people use on that side. But what remains is I'm okay with, "Ah, let me take a moment. Let me check it out. Let me see. I didn't schedule my vaccine the first week. I didn't. It didn't. I think that's okay. Um, Beyond all that is I want to focus on what's at the core of these issues. You know? The submarine story versus the immigrant story is a a challenge, a moral challenge to make sure you can step outside of your own experiences, like I said. And so each week I sit down and I'm like, is this the week I just talk about how I had ice cream last night? Most of it ended up on my shirt. Is this the week I talk about how I, uh, you know, had so many, uh, so much chips and salsa at a restaurant that I almost started crying because I was too full? I mean, or is it the week I talk about watching a coup play out in real time in Russia and how it was both gripping, almost like a television show, almost like I couldn't imagine it was real, but also it was very real, full of implications, implications that still might be yet to learn. I don't know what to do every week. So this is my time before I take a quick break to tell you all thank you. Thank you. Thank you for going on this journey. I have been studying George Lucas a little bit more for uh, something I'm doing at a a part-time job. Um, Studying uh, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles and studying George at that point in his life, the early 90s, and George heading into the prequel era of his life. He's he's around my age, George Lucas was when he made uh, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, 47. And some of the articles I'm reading from 19, 1992 when the show came out. 
Uh, I am. Uh, I always do want the quotes, <laughs> but it's not the spirit of the show. I've stumbled on these articles because uh, the thing I am working on is that uh, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles was one of the first big times. I would argue uh, Return of the Jedi had a little bit of this, or maybe even Empire Strikes Back. You could you could actually argue that. Of George saying, I know you all want me to do this thing, but I know what I want to do, and there's a great purpose behind it, and I'm going to do that. Empire was a challenge for people in 1980. Return of the Jedi was, and for some still is a challenge. Those little cute teddy bears and whatnot. But those were still big-time blockbuster films that continued to change the world, right? And then George does some uh, stuff with Spielberg over Indy and Last Crusade and all that stuff. He builds up ILM. Um, his uh, company starts Edit Droid, which creates a new way to edit uh, films and projects digitally, which leads to a sale to Avid, which leads to the Avid editing system, this digital compositing, all these kind of things um, in and around George or coming out of Lucasfilm and ILM. And he's inspired to go back to tell this story because he keeps getting asked, what was Indiana Jones like as a kid? So he decides, let's find out. Let's tell a story. But I found some interviews today from 1992 where George Lucas was saying, I really, I'm interested in this emerging thing called multimedia. He gives an example in one of the interviews. So there's an episode where young Indy walks around uh, in uh, what was then at the time British East Africa. This is the Theodore Roosevelt uh, hunting episode where he uh, kind of teaches uh, you know, those around him, uh, you know, have, after he learns it from a, a young uh, local uh, indigenous uh, boy, um, hey, maybe we should value life and maybe not hunt so many animals and they're needed for this and it's a symbiotic circle. These are themes that will show up again in The Phantom Menace. Um, but um, it is... Uh, uh, in that episode that George says, young Indy can be walking around and you'll see a hippopotamus, you'll see a lion, you'll see uh, any kind of animal. And with this, quote, multimedia thing, you'll be able to click on it. You'll be on a computer and you'll be able to click on the hippopotamus and that will open up an entry about the hippopotamus. And you can learn about the hippopotamus. And when Theodore Roosevelt pops on the screen, screen, you can press pause and you can click on Theodore Roosevelt and the history of Theodore Roosevelt will pop. This is what George wanted to do, education being very important to him. And he thought, well, what a perfect way to do that than, uh, you know, through the character of Indiana Jones. So he says, I can't do it on my own, though. George knows he's rich, rich enough to take a sub to the Titanic. But he, he can't afford to produce a TV show at this level. So he needs the ABC dollars. He goes to ABC, pitches his TV show. Ted Harbert, head of ABC, says yes. And George goes and makes it with uh, Rick McCallum and so many of those other people who would then form the prequels. And that's part of the fascinating history. But in this interview, it's so fascinating. I think it's a, there's a Variety article and an LA Times article from 1992. George, this is before the series debuted. ABC is running profiles, uh, excuse me, promos that you can see on YouTube, and they're trying really hard to market it. It's the Young Adventures. Before Indy went out to the world, Indy, you know, before the world lear learned of Indiana Jones, he went out and learned the world. It, it, and, it, and it's fascinating because now I've seen um, uh, most of the episodes again and to see where they cut it up. You know, it's a, it, this happens and this happens. And it's, and it's like one of those old style promos where like, hey, and then you're going to want to see Indy chase a, a cat. And then they show the cat. It's like one of those weirdly paced promos. They cut it up pretty well to make it look like it's the Indiana Jones of the three films that you're aware of. But they knew at the time because of Ted Harbord uh, admitting this, head of ABC at the time. Yeah, this is different. Uh, I hope people like it. George knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to teach pe people history, the importance of turn-of-the-century history, the 1800s into the 1900s, a tremendously important time in our lives leading up to World War I. He also did want to show, yeah, I want to find out who Indy was as a youngster, but I also want to find out how, how this um, very well-educated, world-experienced, uh, somewhat at times wide-eyed and naive and hopeful individual becomes a little world-weary. That's the Indy we meet at the beginning 
of Raiders of the Lost Ark. How does he become that? I, I want to analyze that and how the, the world and lessons he learned and the events and the tragedies and the things he can't stop and the things he can't comprehend. How does that form who he is by the time we meet him in 1936? And then again in 35. And so George dives into all that and he goes in hard. It's not just simple history. And it's so funny to watch video interviews with George at this time or video interviews with George in the late 90s talking a lot about how, uh, oh, it's just I wanted this is for all the families to sit down and learn history. And that's part of it. In the mid-2000s, they release a giant box set and there's nearly 100 documentaries on this box set, which I do not own. I'd like to get my hands on. 100 documentaries. The multimedia dream that George had kind of didn't really happen. Maybe it was even a little bit before its time. We all remember CD-ROMs and stuff back in the late 90s. This was the early 90s. So maybe George couldn't quite get that. But beyond all of that, George absolutely goes in hard on themes, lessons, and just kind of pulling the wool back over everyone's eyes about history. So it's not just a story about World War I and the horrors. It is a story that's about the plight of the soldiers, the soldiers who weren't sure why they were even fighting this war. There's a great scene that's actually being discussed where uh, the politics of it are not fully understood. And it all comes down to power taking power, power fighting to gain more power, power trying to suppress others, trying to take that power. And that the soldiers are being trampled underneath it. These cities, these cultures are being trampled underneath it. That's in there. George analyzes religion and then goes beyond the analysis of religion. He attacks it. But he doesn't attack God. He doesn't attack the concept of God. He doesn't attack the uh, various concepts of God around the world. He attacks the organizations that are no longer doing what they promised or set out to do. He goes into women's suffrage and the right to vote. He goes into East-West um, culture differences and how the West often looks at the East in a negative light and it, with a distant eye. Episode where Indiana Jones almost dies, the 10-year-old version, because his mom refuses to take um, uh, have, have, have a village doctor... Uh, take them in and, uh, and provide uh, Eastern, quote-unquote, Eastern medicines. It's fascinating stuff. George goes in on all this stuff. And some I've said before in podcasts, I've even said this on Force Center, we'll say again and, and, and we'll talk about it. Hopefully you'll see the projects that I've, I've worked on. But throughout this, in this interview from 1992, George Sesselos and says, basically, I know people are going to have a hard time. This is not what they expect. They're expecting... Indiana Jones, they're expecting, he doesn't say this specifically, but they're expecting River Phoenix, as was I when the series debuted in 1992. Great idea. I love that uh, prologue of Last Crusade. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Got Corey Carey and Sean Patrick Flannery playing young Indy at two different ages. Let's do it. I'm excited. Let's crack that whip. Yeah. George says in this interview, this ain't that. It's got some action. It's got some big sequences. But George says, this ain't that. And in the interview, he says, goes into details about what he wants to put out in the world, why he's telling these stories, why he thinks they're valuable, why he thinks people need to hear them. There's a great interview clip separate of Rick McCallum, the gum chomp and producer of the prequels, who says correctly that here in 1992, this is one of the first times on a prime time American television program that the, the main character will not get his education of the world through Western eyes going to learn it through other cultures. And Rick McCallum, who is actually uh, quite a, a citizen of the world. I think he lives in Prague now for a while. He failed. Uh, he had some stumbles early on in his producing career in America. And he went to uh, England to build up his career there. Eventually meets George in 85, a former friendship. And he produces this series and goes on and produces the prequels. And McCallum knows his way around the world. I thought that was a very valuable, crazy thing for him to say. Yeah. Crazy in the sense of, yeah, no, here's this crazy idea. Indiana Jones is going to learn about the world through the eyes of the world, not the West. And George says this in his 1992 interview. He says all these things. He says, this is what, I, this is what I'm doing. 
I really just want to teach people about the world and the lessons from history. I want it to be multimedia. I can't afford it. So I decided let's do it as a television program. And you all ain't going to like it because it ain't what you expect. And the interview ends with George saying, I do not want to change things just for the idea of getting some sort of success. I do not want to change my approach, my intent, the why of my story. I want to tell the stories I want to tell. Success be damned. And that's George Lucas in the early 90s. And that's George Lucas in the late 90s and early 2000s. And George Lucas is probably his entire life. Remember, even Star Wars is, I couldn't get the rights to Flash Gordon, so I said, F it, I'm going to do my own, because I think we need these stories, and I think we need to have modern myths for the kids of this era. Joseph Scrimshaw uh, always refers to him on Force Center as the rebel in flannel. I'm not super rebellious, and I'm not doing anything as important as George Lucas. But I've struggled again this week, struggled again this past week, as the world's gone crazy, and I've tried to find the perspective, and have had it of looking out at other people I know doing much better than me. Well, whatever that much better is, who knows? Who knows how real it is? But we all are in that spot, right? You don't know the struggles people are hiding. You don't know what's actually going on. An Instagram photo looks great. We get it. get it. But I don't have the numbers. I don't have the money. I don't have, not the fame. I don't need that. But I don't have the influence. I don't have any of these things that other people I know have. And I feel they're doing far less important things in the world than what I want to do. And all I want to do is gather around the table with all of you and just start thinking outside of our own experiences a little. Realizing the words matter. And I was moved today, actually, by reading George Lucas's words. He's, there's a reason I love the guy. I'm going to do what I want to do now. George made some money, some money I, a lot of us haven't made. And maybe that's a little bit of a nice cushion to land on. I think that's a fair criticism. But I think this is also what George was in college and what George will always be until the day it's time for him to head on up and maybe tell some stories elsewhere. That's why his work continues to move us. And I implore you to check out the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. They're 22 movies. At times, they're a little long and quiet. Time, times, they look like the era they were made. But time and time again, I'm blown away by what George put in. And, and the writers, a bunch of great writers and, and producers and people behind it. I'm surprised at what they put into the show and what George said. Nah, this is what I do. I don't care if it ruins me. I don't care if it destroys me. This is what I need to do. It's valuable. It is valuable. I guess I owe you a break. All right. I guess I owe you. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to do the music this time. No music this time. Podcast, you get a break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Video, I'm still here. I don't want to go too much longer. I don't want to go too much longer. I had a great set of comedy this weekend. A great show. Jake Lewis and Friends. Um, great up and down. And every comic did good. And for the first time in a long time, there wasn't an inc incident on stage meaning for me. I didn't, I didn't sit there and watch a comic completely spew bullshit. Right? Not every comic had a 100% great set. I had a pretty good one. Mark Ellis had a great one. Jake Lewis had a fun one. But um, every comic did what they wanted to do. And every comic, I felt, understood the assignment. And that's increasingly rare when you do shows. Increasingly rare when you do stand-up comedy shows or attend them. Stand-up comedy seems to be a very misunderstood art form. And I do believe it's an art form. 
And I saw it play out again today, and I'm not here. There's the the clip going around of Roseanne Barr and Theo Vaughn's podcast um, making what they claim uh, are sarcastic, satire-based jokes to prove a point about censorship. Other people just say it is what it is. It was horrific. I would say it was horrific, and if it was an attempt of, of satire and sarcasm, it, it was a little lost, even with the full context of, of a larger clip. Um, also, Roseanne's history is hard to trust. Um, I don't know Theo Vaughn. I've been around Theo Vaughn. He couldn't pick me out of the lineup. Mid-2000s, he was always at Room 5. Um, thought he was very funny then. Always very nice to me. I don't have much more to say on, on him. And he's just doing a podcast. And sometimes you're, you're stuck in that driver's seat and the passenger's doing crazy things. And even though it's easy to armchair quarterback it to say you should have done this and should have said that, and I think some of it is, is more than uh, justified to throw uh, at him, um, sometimes you're just there. That's all I'll say about that. And Roseanne's Roseanne. And by the way, I, I, I want to declare as a comic and someone who, who's studied the history of stand-up comedy, Roseanne has her place in history as a comic. She really does. This happens a lot, be, even beyond someone, uh, an older comic, uh, John Cleese, for example, love Monty Python, but Cleese is, you know, chipping away at his legacy a lot with how he is. You see this, you see this happen a lot. Um, but uh, even outside of that, I think sometimes um, some of the bigger entertainers, comics, bands, but we're talking about comedy, they're, they're of their time, meaning their, their humor can translate to maybe any era, but they're of their time. Um, there's a lot about Jerry Seinfeld I don't really love right now. I think I see a lot of interviews and I'm like, what is he thinking? What's he doing? But Jerry's humor is sometimes lost on the generations that came up behind even mine. They didn't watch the sitcom. They weren't around when he was on top. Um, they don't realize how actually groundbreaking he was, how simple, straightforward, and slice of life he was, was actually pretty groundbreaking. He, he emerges in the mid to late seventies. It was a diff- that kind of comedy was still fresh. Yes. You had Lenny Bruce doing his stuff early on. A lot of you've seen marvelous Miss Maisel, maybe you know a little bit more history of comedy than that, but look at the Carlin, the two, the different faces of his career, his, his finally, like I'm putting aside the kind of old school vaudeville. Uh, I'm doing something different. And, and there's always uh, important things done, done in every style of comedy. But I think that's sometimes lost. I'm going to say this right now. I, you do not lose Roseanne's place in the history of comedy. She, she's, she's important. in it. I think she is working hard to lose her place <laughs> in the history of comedy. Um, I wouldn't want to be on a bill with her right now. Um, um, but, I just, I just feel it's important to say. There's this thing that happens. Uh, I've talked about with some other comic friends of mine. There's some things that happens when, when some of these older comics, or any comic, but some of these older comics become a little more problematic or say some things that are just downright horrendous. Or in some cases, uh, you know, Louis C.K. do, do really horrendous things that uh, deserve uh, to, to be dealt with even more than uh, was the case. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that they weren't funny. And a lot of times there's this revisionist history of, well, Roseanne was never funny. That's, that's bullshit. Roseanne was funny. And Roseanne was groundbreaking. Roseanne was important. Um, and she broke through a lot of barriers. So that's why it's also sad to see what's happening. But there was something that came up with it, and there's something that came up with it again. So uh, a lot of you have seen the internet. This isn't even about the clip. is isn't about Theo Vaughn. is isn't about Roseanne Barr. There's some things they said on the show, their views of comedy, but I see this time and time again. And it goes on what I was saying, too, about what do I want to do here? Um, why am I taking the stage? Why am I getting in front of a microphone? Why are you going to work? Why are you getting up every day? What is, what is the reason? Uh, there's this idea uh, that was put out there, and, and, and like I said, it's discussed a lot of spots of, 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 of the comics are out there. Uh, the last form of free speech, telling the truth. What is the truth? Because the truth, Roseanne's statement is the truth is mandated, which has led into those comments, which I got to be honest, beyond just bizarre and, 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 and kind of uh, just batshit comments, I, I just didn't understand. Even the con- I watched a lot of the interview to try to fully, like, all right, I do believe, I do believe context matters. I do believe you can clip things out. I'm trying to give both of them, whether I should or not, I'm trying to give both of them the benefit of the doubt. I, I just didn't understand that moment in the show, didn't understand a lot of things I saw in the show, and I watched a lot of it today. So I just I just wanted to come at this as best way possible. But this idea that, the idea that you can just say what you want to say, 
is something I keep fighting against. And this idea that it's just jokes. It's just jokes. It's never been the case. Even if you thought it was the case, it's never been the case. Going back to the topic of today's podcast, getting outside of our own experiences. There's so many times throughout history that just jokes have been used, I think unintentionally even, to destroy the lives of other people, to undercut the lives and existences of other people. This is why I was talking last week of the balance between anger and joy and comedy. A lot of comedy, a lot of stand-up comedy is fueled in anger or frustration or poking holes in the norms. It is about punching up, but beyond that, it's just like, hey, this thing happened to me. Isn't that weird to you? And that's what you try to find. You need to find. The bits that work for me are very personal, but they have a, hopefully, when they work and when I construct good bits, they have a thread of truth that we all can either understand or connect with. And it's better if you connect with it because, again, people struggle to connect with something that they haven't experienced directly. That's the art of the, of the bit, and not all of them work. You've got to find the right way to put it out there. And you don't just get to say it. I do believe stand-up comedy stages are a place to discuss things in a way that aren't easily discussed in other places. I do believe humor can find, um, can find its place in tough topics. I do. So again, even... In regards to just comics out there, I, I, I always want to try to give comics the benefit of the doubt. But I think I see that microphone, and I think I see these podcasts being wielded as these um, hammers of truth. And they're just being flung around, and no one's caring about who they're hurting. And it all comes down to that kind of thing for me. The empathy. The lack of empathy. Stand-up comedy is an art form. Or stand-up comics artists, you tell me. That's a pretentious word. But I do believe it's an art form. And it's an art form that uh, has some inherent skills needed, but also some learned skills are required. And it is about connecting with an audience. And it is about putting your truth out there for other people to see. Totally. And it's wonderful. And next to radio, it's my favorite thing to participate in. My favorite thing to get right and I get it wrong a lot. But like in life, words matter. And how you take your words, you take your jokes, and how you swing them around haphazardly for the sake of simply doing it. It's shallow to me. It's harmful at worst. And it's not why I want to keep doing things. I want to make people laugh. I want to have silly Silly bits. I want to tell stories about birds pooping on me and eating too much tacos and all those kind of things. I don't think everything needs to have deep, deep meanings. But every time I get on stage, I want there to be a reason I'm there. And I don't want it to be to hurt. And you got to be clear about that. Words matter. Get outside of your own experiences. Maybe, just maybe, we'll all start having a better world. Follow me on Twitter. Go to Patreon. That's the blathering. Bye. Mm-hmm.